KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Guys, as we continue to monitor what's been happening in Ukraine, have you been following what Jose Andres has been doing? I heard he's, he's been actually kind of following what he did, like starting in Puerto Rico after the hurricane a few years ago. I understand he's near the Ukrainian border helping get many people as fed as possible as they're coming across the border from Ukraine into Poland, I think. Yeah, it's really incredible. And for those of you who don't know who Jose Andres is, he's this world-renowned chef. And last week, he went over to Ukraine and through an organization he created called World Central Kitchen, he's trying to, by teaming up with local cooks and chefs in different parts of Ukraine, provide food to people who are fleeing for their lives. And just thinking about that, the impact that it could have for when you're on the run, you've been uprooted, being able to have some sort of meal that brings you comfort, it's got to be pretty powerful. Yeah, food is such an important thing on so many levels, right? I mean, it's an essential human bodily need, the most basic level. Then there's also the comfort it brings, especially if you're leaving your home, if you haven't been near your home for a while. Hadas Kuznets talked to some people who make Ukrainian food here for immigrants who live here in Philadelphia, which I love because it also reminds me of Slovakian food. My husband's family, as I've talked about, is from Slovakia. They have a similar type of food. So it's really easy to see how important that is to culture and to identity. It's all about, simply put, the power of food. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And our theme for today's episode of the John Cast is the power of food. It's the first Thursday in the month of March, March 3rd, and we're not talking about the eater heat maps or how many bells or the star ratings or whatever that a restaurant has. We're talking about the actual significance of food, how it can bring comfort, bring people from all walks of life together, especially with respect to what's happening right now in Ukraine. So as Sabrina mentioned, Adas Cousins is going to join us today to talk about that in a bit as well. You know, guys, have you ever had this experience where you're scrolling through on Instagram and the algorithm pops something at you that to you is like, this is perfect. This is right up my alley. How did it know I would be so into something like this? And a couple months ago, I was scrolling through and I saw some pictures of these incredible looking sandwiches, hot sandwiches, sandwiches on seeded rolls, cheese steaks, Italian hoagies. And I'm just thinking, yes, I cannot wait to click through, read the caption and find out where this new great sandwich shop is located in Philadelphia. But there was a twist. It was not located in Philadelphia. <laughs> this place called Little Arthur's Hoagies, that's the name of the account on Instagram, it's a thousand miles away in Denver, Colorado. So that really got me thinking about the influence of food. How did a Philadelphia-inspired sandwich shop end up in Denver, Colorado? So I reached out to A.J. Schreffler. He's the mastermind behind Little Arthur's. He's the chef. And we talked for about a half hour about his experience growing up in Doylestown, living in South Philly, being in this area for a while what the inspirations were that he took with him out to Denver to start Little Arthur's Hoagies. My favorite Italian hoagies in Philly uh, that represent my, my brand for sure are the Pops from Angelo's the Sicilian from Cosme's Deli. Another great one. Oh, man, the roast pork. Roast pork from John's Roast Pork or roast pork from Tommy Dinnick's with Rob. Oof, they're all my, I mean, they're, those are like the biggest, you know, inspiration as far as sandwich would go, sandwiches would go for, uh, for what I do. But just food in general, it's like the culture and history of South Philly with like, you know, desserts or like bread, like Sarcones is such a huge influence. Uh, Termini Brothers, 
their cannoli. It's just, you know, just that passion, that the tradition of just like family cooking, man. It's just, it's everything that I'm trying to do out here, translate out here. Does cooking food from Philadelphia, does it make you feel closer connected to this area, even though you're half a country away? It definitely makes me feel more connected. I, I, I missed it so much, but it's, um, that's kind of why I wanted to start the business out here, right? Because it's like, there's so many places doing what I love out there. I want to take the inspiration elsewhere, you know? It does ease a little bit. It does comfort me into, with that, that feeling of missing the family, missing the, my favorite places and all that, you know? AJ said he's been blown away by the response that he's gotten to this over the last couple months since he started his Instagram account. Again, it's at Little Arthur's Hoagies. He's had a Philly food fest. He had a Philly food fest in the beginning of February. And he says he's loved being able to introduce people in Denver to Philadelphia-themed and inspired hoagies, but also connect with a lot of transplants from Philadelphia or other parts of the Northeast that find a taste of home in the food that he's creating. So try an Uncle Greg, whatever. Next time you're out in Denver, look up Little Arthur's Hoagies. He's to pop up for now. Who knows? It sounds like he's well on his way to a brick and mortar and get yourself some Denver-based, Philadelphia-inspired grub. Now, you know, we can't talk about food without bringing in Hadas Kuznets, host of KYW's What's Cooking podcast. Hadas, joining us in studio today. Great to be here. It's good to actually see you in front of me for once. How have you been? I've been well. It's nice to be here in the flesh. So we're talking about quintessentially Philadelphia food. And you recently interviewed Jim Pappas, who created the Philadelphia Cheesesteak Adventure, where this number just blows me away. He's tried a thousand different. I didn't know where there were that many cheesesteaks to begin with. <laughs> a thousand of them. This month, he's doing the Cheesesteak March Madness because, of course, he is. What made him want to do this? Yeah, a thousand cheesesteaks. This is over the course of four years. And he had a, you know, specific metrics of what he was counting as a thousand. So if he went back to a cheesesteak place, he didn't count that in the count. So these are individual, unique places in and around the city. So it's not just Philly cheesesteaks. It's, you know, Delco and Monco and Bucksco and Jersey and all different places. And it started with he um, drove Uber. So he was getting a lot of recommendations from his passengers. He's had a thousand cheesesteaks at over, that's 250 a year. Good grief. What does he look for in a good cheesesteak? He looks for a variety of different things. It's not just the cheesesteak, it's the ambiance, the overall experience, but he looks for freshness, bread. You know, these are among some of the things and especially the meat. It comes down to the meat. It's, you know, a lot of people start talking about the roll. And I think the roll is just in the absence of good meat. If you go around and you're eating the same old Cisco frozen meat, well, you start to look, you need something different. So you start looking for a better roll. A common question that a lot of people who are coming to visit Philadelphia, they'll always say, they, where can I get a good cheesesteak? That's just the one of the quintessential Philly questions. What's his favorite place? How did he, what, what was his explanation for where he, his go-to? He's got a whole list. And I did like a quick rapid fire bunch of questions about that. But best cheesesteak place. Charlie's Roast Pork. Tradi best traditional. I do different categories. So best traditional, Charlie's Roast Pork. Best modern. Best modern cook and shaker. Up in the Northeast. Best high-end cheesesteak? Uh, Go Lifties. Out in Bryn Mawr on Route 30, I guess, Lancaster Avenue, I guess it's on. Best overall experience? Best overall experience was probably Ugly Oyster, Reading, PA. It's like, shows you where he drove out to in the Ubers. <laughs> That's a massive footprint. And he's, I mean, with all these different places, and this being the month of March, I can see where a guy like him could create an entire bracket of cheesesteak places. So he's created this cheesesteak 
March Madness. Yes, he needed something to do. He finished the four years, you know, the Philadelphia cheesesteak adventure. It took him four years, ate a thousand cheesesteaks. And then he said he felt kind of like, what's next? You know, like, what am I going to do now? And so he, this is, this is the next thing right now. They started with uh, four brackets, like a March Madness style competition, but for cheesesteaks. And they've got, you know, best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia, Delaware County, New Jersey, and Delaware are one bracket. And then the north and west suburbs of the city. So then Bucks, Burks, Chester, and Monco are their own separate bracket. And it'll all come down to the final cheesesteak. I hope it's a Philly one. It's got to be a Philly one. It would, make the, it would make the most sense. And all the times he's been in this Uber and kind of rediscovering is kind of doing like a second act on his life here. What has he learned? What else has he learned about the city of Philadelphia while doing all this? He told me that the people are awesome. What I've learned is that people are passionate about cheesesteaks because of memories. When I ask someone about their favorite cheesesteak, they tell me about their dad's favorite place, after the big game, where they went out after a night with friends. It's never about the roll meat cheese. It's about all the other things. So we're passionate about cheesesteaks because of all the great memories imprinted on the cheesesteaks. And that's the story of food in general. Food conversations are the type of things that I've grown to really enjoy. Everyone can relate. Here. Everyone eats. Everybody everybody eats. Exactly. It's one example of just how food defines the culture of a location. Food has stories, too. Like, people, like, trace their family histories back through food, and they have great, like Jim was saying, the memories of what happened. But it's also, like, your grandmother made this for you. Your great-grandparents made this for you. There's all kinds of stories of America with the food or where you came from or why you had this particular type of a dish or is this what was available for you? And so this is, there are all kinds of stories that go back with different ethnicities. And that's the story not only of a neighborhood and a city, but of a culture. Now, Hadass, you have some great stories about how food can bring a sense of home to a lot of immigrant communities, especially the Ukrainian community here in this city right now. Now, Hadass is going to stick with us. We're going to take a quick break and we'll get into how food is helping in a very difficult moment for the Ukrainian community. We'll have that coming up in a moment. I'm Jay. I'm Sabrina. I'm Brian. And we've been talking about food and how it has the power to bring a community together. And with us today is Hadas Kuznets. Hadas, you've been covering the food scene in Philadelphia for years. What is something that you've learned about the power of food? I've learned that food is very disarming and that people that have differences, if they're able to share food or even talk about food, it's a shared experience, and it really can help break down boundaries, break down people's defenses, and it helps people to, to come together. And it helps people feel better sharing ideas on a full stomach. And oh, it, yeah. it really does, like, help build connections. So, I mean, you go over to someone's house for dinner, and they're sharing, like, a part of themselves and giving you some of their ethnic cuisine, like— you're disarmed, you know, like this is delicious. This is, the, and then you're learning about culture. It's the great like equalizer. Everybody has to eat. And, you know, like you can't be sad when you got good food. You, you just can't be upset about it. It's so difficult to be in a bad space when it comes to sitting down and having dinner with someone. And you went up to Bell's Market up in the Northeast for an upcoming episode of the What's Cooking podcast. And it focuses on Ukrainian food, the city of Philadelphia. It's one of the largest Ukrainian populations in the United States. What was that atmosphere like at the market, especially considering how it's been for the last week with the invasion by Russia? What's the atmosphere like at this market? And who did you get a chance to talk to? 
Well, I, I went to Bell's Market. I spoke with Natasha Osadchaya. She's the general manager. And Maria Lachavolska, who is who works in the prepared foods department. They're both from Ukraine. And um, they, they wanted it to be clear that, like, this is a market for everybody because the Ukrainian and Russian populations uh, in Philly live side to side just as they do, you know, on the map. Absolutely. And so and the cultures are very similar. So I was like, you know what, let me let me go in and see what kind of uh, what, what the food is like. And that would be my next question, actually, as someone who unfortunately doesn't know a whole lot about Ukrainian traditional foods. What are some of their favorite traditional foods? So we, we got a couple here. So Vareniki is the, it's like a dumpling. You make whatever you put inside. It's either potatoes or cabbage or meat. And, uh, cherry, maybe cherry. Yeah, also yeah, cherries. Yeah. Dumplings with cherries inside. Yes. So that's like a sweet dumpling. Yes. Yeah, and you can eat it with sour cream. That's what I eat it with. Then they have uh, another really popular dish, um, stuffed cabbage. Cabbage is a big one. They they like boiled cabbage, stuffed cabbage. Like cabbage is a very um, popular food, cabbage and potatoes. And Ukrainian borscht, which I wanted to know, how is Ukrainian borscht different from Russian borscht? Ukrainian borscht is a borscht. Okay. Ukrainian is red. And Russian? Russian yellow. It's more yellow. Yes, because they put, I think, sauerkraut in it. Uh, potatoes, uh, sauerkraut, and uh, onions. Yeah, different yeah. vegetables. Yeah. And what's in the Ukrainian borscht? Ukrainian borscht, uh, red beets, and potato, meat, fresh cabbage. For me, as a, you know, Ashkenazic, with Ashkenazic Jewish background, a lot of these foods are very, you know, like my grandmother made borscht. Um, they also talk about compote, which is was something my even my mom made, and it inspired me. I'm going to make it for my kids. But compote is like a, a drink; it's a sweet drink. Uh, a lot of these foods are not just specifically Ukrainian, but Eastern European, and I think that says a lot. With you know, if you, anybody who's following politics or following the news, and you know, one of the I guess conflicts for the soldiers is that it's a very similar culture. Food doesn't stay within the borders. It crosses over. And, you know, yeah, culturally, you know, when they when they're sharing tea with the soldiers and speaking the same language and eating the same foods, then there's a connection there. Maria and Natasha clearly love Ukrainian food. How important is this market to that community? It's it's important, and I hope that you throw in the clip about them saying um, how it's the best food. <laughs> we like the food. I think it's the best food for us. It is. It's the best food, and you know you can never get tired of this food. They need to try it. Once you try it, you'll never go back. They're so cute that you know it's obviously the best. It's the best food they said because um, there's there's a there's home. Food brings back memories. And it's important for cultures to have to have culturally significant food is crucial because it's not just that the food tastes good, but it connects you to your culture and your history and your family and your memories. Obviously, over the last week, we've seen people rallying all over the city, this country, the world to try and figure out how, even if it's in the smallest of ways, they can help with what's going on in Ukraine. And it's been encouraging to see that this has brought people together in this way. And that's especially the case in the Philadelphia foodie and food scene community. 
Yeah. Bakers are coming together. Food People that love food, they're coming together. Um, I'm actually doing a story about Bakers for Ukraine. And uh, this is an initiative that's led by Abby Dahan. And um, she got about 13 bakers across Philadelphia. They are all uh, baking this week. They're going to sell their wares at Her Place Supper Club at 1740 Sansom Street this Sunday, the 6th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. or until they sell out. And then they're donating all of their proceeds, 100%, to World Central Kitchen. And if you want to buy food, uh, you should go out there. If you if you can't make it, then uh, she recommends that you just go on to wck.org and donate some money, $1, $2, whatever. Um, and she just was kind of like thinking about, could you imagine if everybody around the world, like, did a bake sale and just donated some money. I think everyone feels the way I feel where they're like, how can we help? Let's let's do something. I, you need me to make a cookie? Sure, I'll make a cookie. Like whatever we can do to help. And um, I think that's that's really heartwarming. I wish everyone would do that in every city. Could you imagine how much money we would raise? All this money goes back to World Central Kitchen. I know you were talking about Jose Andres. She was explaining how they take that money and they put it into the local cuisine. So he's right now on the border of Poland and Ukraine, and he is helping to feed the refugees that are coming across the border. And they they set up kitchens by utilizing the local restaurateurs, the local you know people. They pay them to basically make meals. It's a really great partnership. Yeah. And plus it also does compensate and take care of the people who are putting all that hard work and time in there, especially in a situation like this. Absolutely. And it's important. I mean, you're feeding people the food that they recognize, too. Food is comfort. Absolutely. That's the same sentiment, just to bring one more culture into all of this, that I got from Dan Sao, who I actually met uh, about a year ago. He's the owner of Emei Restaurant in Chinatown. During the pandemic, he started a delivery service called Rice Van to bring specialty Asian foods out to folks in the suburbs, people who don't live in Chinatown and can't necessarily, couldn't get those foods in the pandemic, you know, when they couldn't go out places. So I thought that was really cool. And then he kind of took it to another level this year by bringing food to Afghan refugees. Hadass, you talked to him about about that, right? Yeah, yeah. So he he started this during the pandemic. Um, and so he, like you said, he started with Asian food. And then he no, he saw a need. And so he and um, his partner, Eric Rosenfeld, they started uh, looking in researching and getting uh, people to help them make and distribute Afghani food. So the food needs to be halal. There are certain, you know, specific, he was talking about specific types of grains of rice. We discovered that uh, there's a, a long grained Persian super sila basmati, which is very unique, but very specific. Uh, to Afghanistan and parts of Iran. We've also identified uh, a particular kind of non-flatbread that is, you know, like one of the cultural comfort foods. He also talked about they they really want to expand this also to other um, areas like kosher food. Um, But right now, uh, this is really important because there are so still refugees. um, And so we're going to have a lot of people from Afghanistan that uh, are relocated and and living in the area. And he said it's really really important to have that accessible to them uh, because when you've been through trauma and you've been through really difficult times, same as the Ukrainian refugees, um, one thing that can make you feel a little bit better is, you know, having food from home. 
Imagine being another country, you know, for like、uh, with no relatives, with, with no families. You know, in Philadelphia, you have Chinatown. You also have、uh, like、uh, Elkins Park, Abu Dhabi for Koreans, South Philly for Vietnamese. For Afghan refugees, there's no such a place in Philadelphia. They actually hired some of their refugees to come and advise them or cook for them, and they're able to provide jobs and,、um, you know, provide the product. I hear how passionate you are about this with food. I don't think I've ever actually asked you this. Can、Just、I tell you something? When I met my husband, he said,、um, "I love to cook," and I said, "I love to eat." Go <laughs> 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 <Like our> first. <laughs> so you clearly, you say you clearly love to eat. You have family and cultural ties to Israel, as we, as we have mentioned before on here. What are some of the cultural ties to food? What made you such a foodie that you have now become one of these voices, really, for food here in Philadelphia? What 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 spurred that with you?、Uh, maybe my love for travel could be that I, I really love to travel, and I've traveled a lot. There was a period of time that I was traveling all over the world.、Um, I've reported from all over the world. And、um, I think that's the way you best get to know a culture is through food. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's because I was born in Israel. I don't. I don't know. But and and Israel has great food, <laughs> great. <laughs> and and then the, but it's not just Israeli food. There's you know Ashkenazic food. There's Sephardic food. There's、uh, Ethiopian food because there's a big、uh, Ethiopian immigration、uh, component from the Ethiopian immigration in Israel. There's Russian food because there was a big Russian influx to Israel in the in the eighties and nineties. So yeah, there's. I, I I think it's I really think it's my love for travel, a love for peace maybe you know, eating together, being together, that's the way you understand each other is to talk over a full stomach. It's amazing how many things have actually been kind of brought to a head in a good way when it comes to simply sitting down and having food together. Hadas, thank you so much for joining us. Follow her at Hadas Kuznets on Twitter and look for the What's Cooking podcast on the Odyssey app. Or wherever you get your podcast, same place you find the Johncast. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Serka. I'm Brian Seltzer. And that's it for the Thursday edition of the podcast. We'll see you again tomorrow.